When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, dude? Man, this day job or night job for me is getting in the way of all this all this fun, man. Oh, you got to work tomorrow, don't you? I'll be I'll be at the game and then I'll be back for the for the six and ten. Well, you know what? Duty calls. Maybe we'll save you a shot of Doritos flavored vodka that you can have on your off day on Monday if you'd like. Hey, uh, hey, not, nothing says I'm in a good place in my life like like drinking on a Monday morning, right, or Monday afternoon. Good and or bad, one of the two, if not both at the same time. What's going on? Oh, not a lot. It's just been a crazy week. Crazy week is extending into the weekend, too. I'm not even kidding you. This is the busiest Saturday of my life coming up. And overall, it's a good thing. But I also know by the time it's done, I'm going to be completely wiped out. And it's a combination of family, sports, friends, Stand-up comedy, more friends. There's certainly going to be some things ingested, too. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm not built for this anymore, Jeff. I'm 46. I'm well past my prime here for something like an all-day affair that requires my uh, mental and physical capacities to, to be decent. Well, you're going to have to throw it back one time. You're going to have to pull a... Uh... Not as good as I once was, but as good once as I ever was. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna have to channel that for one day. You gotta, you gotta gut it out. And you know what? What you just described sounds, sounds like, uh, sounds like the good kind of problems. Too many friends, too much fun stuff to do. Good kids, good wife. You know. No, you're exactly right about that. And and uh, all honesty on the sports element, one of the sports is coming to an end this weekend. So we are in full sports, spring sports swing right now with volleyball, soccer, uh, also have some basketball going on too. Well, it's the championships in basketball on Sunday. So then it'll be down to volleyball and soccer after that. And then also a little bit tumbling in the mix during the week. But I get to start coaching volleyball again tomorrow. I've done it for... Uh, This will be my fourth season doing so, two as an assistant last fall and this current team on the head coach. And it's a lot of fun. These girls are a joy to be around for the most part. So there's always (laughs) issues, but adults have their issues. And it's it's almost always the adults in youth sports. Yeah, I've lucked out in that regard. I've told I mentioned that earlier on the show, too. I, I completely lucked out with regards to sports parents. I've got a great group of parents, too, which is evidenced i guess by the fact that their their kids are really awesome as well so i think we have a real shot to win second and third grade girls spike frog volleyball championship this season they don't call me the nick saban of second and third grade girls volleyball for nothing jeff i've got to live up to that reputation this season i i pegged you as more of a bill belichick if i was gonna throw a coach on on your uh you know comparison there I, 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 don't, I don't mean that in I don't mean that in the offensive way. 
Well, I tried the mumbling bit for a while, but uh, nobody could understand what the hell I was saying. I was just way too low key. So I had to get a little bit more fired up than that. Very occasionally, if something bad happens, not it's not if it's uh, my girls doing something bad, but if uh, something uh, screws us over, I do wear a headset during games, even though it's not connected to anything. I will rip the headset off and start chewing somebody out, just not the players or, uh, or their parents. That's the only reason I would want to coach is to just do the the coach mannerisms. Oh yeah. Like to just do the clap on the sideline or on the bench um, to do the like arm cross, whatever it may be. Not that I want to like yell at a bunch of kids or anything. I'll pass on the, on that part of it. But, but yeah, all the like cool mannerisms, like the pulling the headset off the shot that I always get at UT games that I've been in place for a couple times is when Texas runs out of the tunnel, Sark puts his headset on. There's like a headset guy and he gets oh, all yeah. like yeah. he gets all set up and then he like pulls the headset like the microphone part of the headset down that's that's the extent of coaching that i want to do is just to like look badass doing it and then yeah, not there's actually also that line that neither you nor i would cross either that sadly tom herman used to routinely cross like uh headbutting helmeted players and trying to fight the opposing coaches like that's where the line is for me i'm not i'm not trying to elicit my own physical harm here just a good uh, good little bit of verbal abuse Oh man, you're bringing back memories now with Tom trying to go after Gundy. That was one of the more interesting games I covered. Unfortunately, Tom gave us a Mount Rushmore of embarrassing moments during his coaching tenure, like things that he was specifically doing that was shedding a pretty bad light on him and the program. Well, signing day double bird to the LHN cam. Like I said, there's a Mount Rushmore. So we've got the (laughs) Headbutting a helmeted player. We've got the try, literally trying to fight Mike Gundy on the field at the end of a game at Oklahoma State. We've got the double bird. What's number four, though? What's number four? <laughs> Secure in the bag. You got it, buddy. You got it. I'm not surprised by that. I think there's got to be a couple of close alternatives if we needed to move something around. But but yeah, those four, I think, are are pretty pretty safe on the Mount Rushmore. So there are other things. I'm trying to think of the the other thing that was caught on camera, though, because there's some behind-the-scenes stuff that, in retrospect, it's like, how in the world did this actually happen? Like him threatening the media after an introductory press conference where everything went really well and he had a ton of goodwill built up. Like, he pulls the media and is like, if you guys dare try to report something without running it past me first, I'm going to make you and your uh and your insider i'm gonna make you pay a price it's like whoa this is an interesting way to try and make friends right now dom yeah and i think sometimes these coaches don't realize that so many of us will be here long after they're gone however much success they have you could be mac brown you could be daryl royal you could you could have statues built of you there will be guys covering this team ladies covering this team that will potentially be there, you know, will have been there before you got there and will be there long after you're gone. There are very, very few coaches that outlast some of the legendary, legendary writers. I mean, obviously we have quite a few in the Austin media. Completely agreed. Yeah, it was weird to see Brian Davis leave the industry a few years ago to go work for UT. It's like, oh, you're like a a family member at this point with how long I've been reading your writings on Longhorn sports. Good dude too, man. I say that about everybody in the Austin media. A lot of, a lot of good folks. Who, who's the worst Austin media person? You're not allowed to say me, by the way. <laughs> the second worst I, Austin media personality. I, honestly, this is like cop-out answer. Like 
I don't really have issues with anybody. I mean, maybe there's other beefs behind the scenes that I'm unaware of, but to, to my knowledge, everybody gets along pretty well or at least fakes it. Yeah. There's probably some faking it going on. We've all got to fake it a little bit here and there. You don't want to necessarily always wear what's going on in life on your sleeve or on your face. Welcome to the inflated ego talk show. That's right, Rex. You want to join in the fun? You want to inflate your own ego here? You f- Feel free. Pull on up a seat. Uh, use our uh, our bicycle pump to inflate your own ego. Oh, man. He's talking about us? I think so. Yeah. Well, what does he want us to talk about for two hours? Basketball team's not giving us much to talk about. Well, they actually did, thankfully. Yeah, right. Finally. On Tuesday. How about that performance? You and I are talking about it, and even you, who's... Won't say you're the eternal optimist, but you were talking people off of ledges all season long. You were pretty down on this team on Monday, completely understandable. I didn't give them much of a chance to win, and they go into Lubbock and completely dominate from the get-go, and it uh, ends with, now look, there's a play that we can talk about, but it ends with Tech fans throwing all sorts of crap on the court, having to be told by their coach, stop doing so. Some crazy in a mullet is being carried out by six police officers while he chants... Fuck the Longhorns, or I forget what his chant was. And unfortunately for Texas Tech fans, that uh, final memory of playing the Longhorns as conference foes is not the best one. That was pretty perfect for them to just completely unravel like that. Yeah. And and I know it's not necessarily the last sporting event because baseball is going to go there in, I believe, like a week and a half. But let's be honest. As big as baseball is, as good as both those baseball programs are, Basketball and football were the two really driving forces behind behind this rivalry, and also over a three game, over a three game series, in one place, you're not going to get as much hostility like that. You'll get a lot of horns down. But I've been to Lubbock quite a bit since I since I started this gig six or seven years ago, and especially as the vitriol even was was enhanced with the Chris Beard situation. I always felt like whenever I was there, whether it was the Texas Tech football game, not this season, but the season before where they stormed the field um, or it was Beard returning and the insanity a few months later that, you know, ensued with that when he went back when he went back to Texas Tech, uh, brought the Longhorns over there to play Lubbock or play in Lubbock. I never really felt like they were going to do anything that crazy. They were cussing and hollering the entire time, but you kind of expect that. You know, that, that happens sometimes in the stands at, at Texas sporting of events. Course. So that's why I was always like, let's let's relax a little bit on getting on tech fans too much. But there's a pretty hard line in the sand of throwing things on the court. And it was pretty incredible to see them over all the times I've been there and as hostile as it was towards Texas. But they held it together. I always gave them credit for that Chris Beard game. They were yelling F you at beard the entire game, but I never felt like someone's going to do something really crazy. And then it, it, it took this, it took, it took Brock Cunningham going, going ham to, to finally, to finally let it all out for tech fans and really get that ugliness out there. Now, to be fair, I don't think it would have happened had Brock Cunningham not done that because even if Texas fans are laughing in retrospects, that was a cheap play by Brock Cunningham right there. I mean, he just shoulder drove that dude. And he's honestly lucky where the dude went along the sidelines. Because if he had barreled into people who were just sitting there courtside, that could have gotten much uglier. Yeah. But the guy was, he kind of went up against the the score or the little table that's set up there and didn't really 
touch any of the courtside fans. And yeah, he was pissed off about it as he should have been. Just unfortunate for Brock, a guy who has had to work this year to lose that reputation as a dude who does some underhanded, dirty things. Like you're right back at square run one now, man. And this is a team that needs you the rest of the way. I was just thinking about during that game, how we we've had about three or four games in a row of good Brock of Brock bringing what really needs to be brought to the table for his role on this team. And the things that's made Brock popular and made him a good role player for these teams over the last couple of years, man, we've been getting that the last couple of games. And then I tried as hard as I could Trey, to watch that play a million times as fast and as slow as possible. It was a dirty freaking play. Yeah. Like it was just a dirty play. I really tried, but I was bullshit, man. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I mean, and maybe that's the intensity because, you know, we were talking about how this team needed a little more fight, need a little more intensity. I don't think that's what we were talking about. Go out and make a dirty play on the road when you're up 20, whatever they were up at the time. Uh, but hey, this team does need a little bit of nasty. Uh, they needed it the last two times they were on the road before that and were blown out by really good teams. So um, hopefully, I mean, I want to say hopefully Brock learns from that. Like, it's kind of too late at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, uh, Hopefully he doesn't do that again in a game where their season might end if they lose. Well, I had seen j- literally a game before that. It was the Kansas game, I believe, on Saturday. And I forget if I mentioned this with you or BK. I actually saw him help somebody up that he had knocked down and say, hey, you good. And I was like, yeah, you oh, mentioned that. <laughs> this is a brand new Brock here. And then he does that on Tuesday night and he's, well, within his right to do so, I guess. He got thrown out of the game, and he's going to be a marked man by officials the rest of the way. It's it's a bummer because this, this team doesn't – I don't think they have an elite eight ceiling, although in this era of college basketball, who knows, get hot at the right time. But, like, this is a team that is sorely lacking in depth at pretty much every spot. So you need all able-bodied guys out there doing positive things for you. That was a negative thing, and he was able to get away with it because Texas is up by so much then, uh, that would have obviously made it much worse if that had led to uh, some sort of uh, re-energizing of the Tech team and fan base, and they figure out a way to come back from there. Fortunately, they were up by enough. It's just it's completely unnecessary, and uh, and uh, Brock Cunningham has relegated himself somewhat useless, I'm guessing, the rest of the way, at least in conference play. Maybe it changes when you get to tourney time, and they're not having to deal with the calls of Big 12 refs game in and game out, that uh, that might make a little bit of a difference. But even still, I think there's a, a reputation that he now has nationally as a result of people seeing that on replay over and over again for the next 24 hours. Okay, based on that reputation for Brock and what happened, the, the fallout, the reaction to it, the ejection, want to get your take on this. Would love people with even just a yes or no in the comments on this. If that's any other Texas player, in that moment, same situation, same play happens, but it's Kendall Weaver, it's Max Asmus, it's Shedrick, Dessou, whoever it may be, any other player, do they get thrown out of the game like Brock did? I, I'm pretty sure it would be a flagrant one, but is it a flagrant two and an ejection for any other guy on that team? Or was that a reputation ejection? This is such a fascinating hypothetical because I have a hard time envisioning somebody else doing that going right after a guy like that. But the answer is, it might be no. It we might already got one no. 
it also did look ugly too. So are they doing the exact same thing, hitting him the with the exact amount of force, causing him to fly into the sideline table like that? Because if so, they are extra cautious in college basketball and they go back and look at these things. They might see that as a flagrant play that could have put someone in serious harm's way and still gotten the ejection. There's So I guess my ultimate answer is yes. Those guys probably do. Uh, suffer a similar fate, but that decision was made much more quickly because it was Brock Cunningham. I don't think another player gets tossed for that. If huh. that's a tech player, I don't think they get tossed. If that's a Texas player, I don't think they get tossed. Like if that's Max Acemas, are you telling me that that they would have tossed him for that too? But maybe the other point, I was talking to some some buddies about this the other day. No other player would even do that. Exactly. Which actually is literally what Ike just. <laughs> <laughs> what I just commented. Well, here's the other thing about that too, dude. Like that is that reminds me, even though it's a different sport, of course, that reminds me of the old school blindside blocks, which have been removed from football at this point. Like you just have to know that if a guy is running after the basketball and you're coming up, yeah, you're coming up from the side, but you're also coming up from behind in a sense for you to just basically catch him off guard like that, even if it, five, 10 years ago as a basketball play, it's not going to be treated as such anymore. It's just not like there's a, there's a headiness that comes with a play like that. But Brock Cunningham has a history with tech fans. And so when you have a, when you have a history of tech fans and you're trying to be an antagonizer and you're trying to return to your role as the BK strangler minus the mustache, that nickname makes a whole lot more sense when he's rocking that mustache. Then, uh, then unfortunately they, uh, they, they may find you and punish you for your crimes. Yeah, I just, yeah, I, I know some people love it. A lot of people loved it, but I just don't think that you can call that a smart play when you know you're going to get ejected for doing that. Like, I'm not going to say that getting ejected from the game is is a play that I that I love, but at the same time, like, I'm not going to totally dispute the fact if if the argument on the other end of it is, hey, we needed that, we needed that spark. We needed somebody to show a little fight, show a little, little bit of intensity. Because you and I, Trey, have have had this conversation. We haven't had it in a while, but early on when this team was trying to find their way about the alphas or lack thereof on this team. And Brock's not going to be an alpha that scores a bunch of points. He's not going to be your star player that has that side. But maybe he was just like, hey, he saw an opportunity. They were up big and was just like at some – maybe he thought at some point during this game, I'm going to not, not like he's like, I'm going to make a dirty play, but I'm going to make a statement play. I'm going to, you know, assert dominance on these guys and, you know, get, get back at them or whatever, try to ignite the team, put a little fight in these guys. Although at that point they didn't really need it because they came out and played, (laughs) played their asses off. And we've, we've now after Rodney Terry talked today, we've gotten a little more insight now into the practice on Sunday that he alluded to. And (laughs) He called it uh, he called it Bloody Sunday at that practice because he compared it to what Kirby Smart does at Georgia, which I guess he has Bloody Tuesdays, and he said it wasn't to that extent, which obviously you know. But he was saying you know guys on the floor diving for loose balls, tough physical practice. He he loves the phrase bone on bone, talking about physicality, which I think is funny and and old school. But yeah, that practice on Sunday must have set the tone too, and you know maybe our guy Brock just that a little too much to heart (laughs) but I do love hearing that from Rodney that they had a practice like that B 
because that's what I was that's what I was saying Monday before he made that public. He made it a little bit public on Tuesday that they had had a tough practice, a physical practice Sunday, and then today he went into more detail too, which tends to happen on those off day press conferences before another game. Because this team, man, they need that nasty, and maybe they needed to go on the road. Unfortunately, it needed to happen twice and get their asses kicked to wake them up and show them that, hey, we've got to have some fight. So I love hearing that that's that's the type of practice they had Sunday, and you immediately saw the result on Tuesday. So hopefully they can take that and run with it. Yeah, because for the most part this year, when this team gets punched hard in the mouth in the first half, they have a hard time recovering or recovering in time. The Houston game here in Austin is an example of them almost getting it back, but especially on those road the, on the road those two previous games against Kansas and Houston when they got that opposing team's best efforts at an early point in the game and all of a sudden that lead gets stretched to 10 or even 20 points you see pretty quickly that uh, this is a team that soft is not the right word necessarily but they just have a hard time recalibrating like Dylan DeSue is the one guy who's the exception there but it's a bunch of dudes who are I don't know if they're still trying to find their footing or what or what. So that's, I think that's a great example of why I have faith in Rodney Terry as an X's and O's guy. I think he is a really good in-game coach. I think he is a good coach to understand what he needs to do to spark his team in practice. Uh, the roster building is a completely different example, but yeah, I love to hear that as well. I think that is a big reason why you saw this Texas team come out with a, a whole lot of fight on Tuesday. You can't do that too much though. Cause if you start doing that too much, all of a sudden it's going to, wear your guys down before they go into those games that need to be hard fought, but to deploy it like he was able to do uh, every so often, it, it clearly paid benefits two days later. And I think sometimes in, in the NCAA tournament, this is why we see lower seeded teams go on a run because they've played so much of their season in that survive in advance that every game is a battle. I mean, every game our, our season's over. Like some of these mid major teams, if we don't win our conference tournament, which is single elimination, we're not going to go to the NCAA tournament. And you see that in baseball a lot too. You see some of those wildcard teams get hot when, whether it was the one game wildcard that they implemented a couple of years ago, or even now that it's a three game wildcard, just that, that intensity and, and just do or die that you're playing with every single game, even before you get there sometimes just to earn a playoff bid or to earn a bid into March madness. I think you see some of those teams have, some success early on in the tournament because they're just used to playing like that. And maybe, maybe that, that could happen for this Texas team. They could channel that and keep this going, moving forward. I'm not saying they won't lose another game. They could, I mean, hell I Zay and chip. were talking about this at the end of their show. And I thought it was a great point. They could lose Saturday against Oklahoma state. I don't think it's going to happen because that's not a very good team. And when they have gotten teams more often than not, it's been at home, but even if they get that one, very well lose on the road at Baylor. Frankly, they'll be favored to lose probably by six or seven points yeah. on the road at Baylor. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I think that that do or die earlier in the season than some other teams that you know know they're in. Like even Texas last year, I know you know they they ended up being just fine. But you you see a little bit of that with with these teams every once in a while that that get hot down the stretch. They start to figure it out and they just say, "This is what we are." This is what we're going to be. We can't really change ourselves right now. The team we are is the team we are. The guys we have are the guys we have. And let's just go balls to the wall and act like every game is an NCAA tournament game. 
And I know that's cliche, but I think it I think it works sometimes. I think at this point, assuming that they beat Oklahoma State tomorrow or Oklahoma next Saturday, they are in right now, even if they lose in the, I guess, technically what would be the second round of the Big 12 tournament. I feel good about saying that they will be in the tournament, but now you're fighting for seeding. And if you end up 10, 11, 12 seed, it becomes a much more difficult task. And maybe that's the wrong stance because if you're a seven or eight, you're facing a one in the next round. But in this era of college basketball. Well, you mean if you're an eight or a nine? Eight, eight or a nine, excuse me. Things can be up for grabs. Um, I, I still think they'll have problems against the really good competition in college basketball. But um, they, they, they should be in right now. Again, assuming that they beat Oklahoma State on Saturday, uh, I do still want to see them finish strongly, show that potential once again that was on display the first handful of games in that six-game stretch against ranked competition. I guess the good news is that after Baylor on Monday, you don't have to play in a raucous away environment anymore. Like Any games happening on the road after that are going to be neutral court sites. So Kansas city for the big 12 championship, wherever you end up going for March madness. So uh, that, that element is at least taken out. Yeah, definitely. And we'll look, we'll see, because I think there's a huge difference between being a seven and being an eight or a nine or heck even being a seven and a 10. Cause man, I would want no piece of an eight or a nine seed on UConn side of the bracket. And you get by that nine seed, let's say, or you're the nine, you get by the eight, and you gotta play UConn in the second round. <laughs> or you gotta or you gotta go play Purdue. Or even, you know, neutral side or not, you gotta go play Houston again. I don't think they would do that because they've already played twice. They would probably set up, you know, a potential non conference matchup there. Um, but yeah, like I, I just think trying to get to that seven line, they're an eight right now, as it stands with with Lenardi. And I think, let's say it goes, they beat Oklahoma State, lose on the road to Baylor, beat Oklahoma at home. Who knows what happens in the Big 12 tournament. But ending the regular season that way, I don't think really moves them at all. I think it just keeps them as an eight or a nine, depending on what the other teams do around them. But if it's two and one, and it's a win over Oklahoma State, and a win on the road over Baylor, and then maybe you drop one to Oklahoma, that, depending on everybody else, could bump you to, to a seven, I think. I think you're a seven at that point. You can move up even more into a six slot if you make a run in the in, in the Big 12 tourney. Yeah, they're maybe five if you win the Big 12 tourney. Although I'm not, that would depend on who you're beating yeah. at that point. Yeah, and I think I think that you know the the seven just makes just makes a huge difference because of that potential second round matchup. I feel much more comfortable with this team potentially upsetting a two seed versus you know, Purdue, Houston, UConn, somebody like that as a one seed. Did you see, because obviously right now the NCAA tournament is at 68 teams, moved up from 64 several years ago, that there are talks happening right now behind the scenes about potentially expanding the NCAA tournament from 68 to either 80 or 96 teams in March Madness. Yeah, I saw that. It's it's ridiculous. It I mean, what do we what are we even playing as many regular season games as we are for at that point? 
Yeah, if you're stressing about the percentage of teams that make the postseason, which BK told me a few days ago is the primary argument here, then cut back the number of teams at the Division One level. You already have entirely too many, 360-plus. Cut that number in half. Let's or if we're going to turn it back to 64 again, by the way. Or get rid of conference tournaments. If you want to make it a 96-team field, then get rid of conference tournaments and base base the automatics – or I don't know if you could do this, but keep the mid-major ones because those are really fun. I mean, those are the most fun ones to watch. It's to kind of keep an eye on the Missouri Valley Conference or whatever. And, okay, oh, this is the semifinal matchup. And then watch the final. I mean, that's the most mid-major basketball I watch is <laughs> the NCAA tournament and then the conference tournaments before it because you know what's at stake. You know that one of these teams is going to fulfill a dream come true and get to go, you know, try to play Cinderella in the NCAA tournament. But if 96 teams get in, then I don't really see the point, at least for major conferences, to play those conference tournaments. Yeah, it's that's a tough one because the conference tourneys or the conferences themselves are going to be reluctant to give that up because it is a bit of a financial windfall. I, I truly don't know how much it actually is for, let's say, the Big 12. Like, is it? Does it provide that much of a an injection of cash for the conference? You you cut you've covered the tournament in person in the past, right? I actually have never covered the conference tournament. No, so I'm not recalling just how good the crowds are in Kansas City. Like they probably get good crowds for Kansas games, but is it pretty middling otherwise? Or are they actually filling that arena up starting on let's say Thursday or Friday? I think they're okay, but. If I'm a Texas fan, or let's say you're a UH fan or a Baylor fan, one of the, the fans of these teams that you know throw Kansas out because they're a half an hour drive, or even K State. But if you're one of these teams that you know plays in Texas and is going to be a high seed, a good seed in the NCAA tournament, if you're a fan, what is the point of traveling to Kansas City unless it just doesn't matter because you're made of money? But if the average fan is is going to go, well, if I really want to go to a game, I'll wait and see where they end up for the first round and then buy a last-minute plane ticket over there if it's driving distance drive over there. So, I don't know. I've always – I know they're fun and they make for some dramatic moments at times. Outside of the outside of the mid-major conference tournaments, I've always kind of been like, bleh, about them. Or if you want to keep them and expand the tournament, then get rid of a week or two of the regular season. So, right now – Let's say that Oklahoma State was the last game of the regular season for Texas. Would would you be like, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe Texas doesn't get to play two more regular season games in the Big 12 or the SEC moving forward? I don't really think the average fan would give a damn that they're getting rid of, at least in, in basketball where the season's longer, that they're just cutting off two games in one week of the regular season. So are you saying space the games out in the tournament a little bit more? Because if you're one of those bottom four seeds, you are playing games potentially on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or maybe it's just Wednesday, Thursday. Regardless, it's four or five games in a row. And that is excessive, man. Just to get into the 64, the round of 64, basically. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, you're right about that. Because I mean, I, I bottom four seeds, you are playing for your, March Madness live. You, there, I guess there's still a chance you could make the NIT tournament. The uh, everyone gets a trophy tournament. But yeah, if you want to play 
uh, in the real tourney, then yes, you have to win that many games in that many days. Yeah. And I'm one of the, I I don't know, maybe other people agree with this. I'm one of the rare runs that actually thinks the, the play in and Dayton is fun. It's just, it's a little appetizer. We've seen teams here and there Shaka's VCU team. Since they started that, we've seen some teams go on a run, you know, as an 11 in that spot. I don't really care about the 16 games, but I do think it's kind of cool for the 16s also. They get to actually say they won an NCAA tournament game. You know, these mid-major schools from (laughs) these tiny conferences that would never otherwise win an NCAA tournament game because unless they're UMBC, they're not going to likely not going to beat a one. That's bullshit, by the way. You don't get that doesn't count as a tournament if you're in a play-in game. I agree that it's BS, but they count it. They do, much to the joy of AM fans any year that they're in the play-in <laughs> game. That fan base uh, loves claiming wins that aren't really wins more than anyone, as we know. Well, I'm glad there's at least one person out there who cares about the play-in games. Cause I asked BK, who is obviously very skewed too. And yes, he watches those games because he's a freak. He's like, Yeah, most everybody else I know even those who are a fan of the sport care very little about those 16, these 16 matchups. And then is it always an 11 V 11 or do they rotate that number too? Yeah. It's all, I'm pretty sure it's always 11 versus 11. And I really enjoy those games because that's where you might get somebody that gets hot from kind of to my point a few minutes ago about team like that is playing for their tournament lives, their entire seasons on the line, you know, before they even actually get into the round of 64 and then likely before that, too, because those are bubble teams. Yeah. Yes, they are. Well, I see Rex says conference tournaments are really fun, but you really have to love hoops. And Yeah, he also says great counts for KU and then also Iowa State, too. That's a good call there, Rex. But uh, not every fan base travels. May change with some of the newer members next season. Yeah. Again, it, it just depends on convenience. The average fan that isn't made of money and has things going on in their life – if they're going to make time to go to the postseason for basketball, they're either going to, you know, wait to see where they go in the first round, or they're going to do the wait and see on the sweet 16. And then the final four, depending on how good, whatever team they root for is in any given year. But yeah, I just, I just think that the conference tournaments are a little overrated. I know they've provided some awesome moments over the years, the, the Kemba Walker step back three, and then they went on to win the, you know, win it all that year. There have been some good moments, but for the most part, man, it's like even if Houston gets upset in the first round of this thing, they might even deep down be happy about that. <laughs> yeah. Years where Texas positioning is pretty well secured. I want them to lose early because that gives them more of a rest before you're playing games every other day for however many consecutive weekends to try and make a, tur- a championship run. And I guess that's just been. Uh, two consecutive weekends at best for this program. But yeah, the more rest, the better. It's a long season. Thankfully, not as long as the NBA, but it's still a long season. Those guys, uh, they benefit from a little bit of a break there versus playing X number of games and X number of days. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's a good, another good point from Rex there. SEC tournament in Nashville is a fun event. Fun city, fun site. But once the novelty of that wears off, let's say Texas fans might go Oklahoma fans might go for the first year. I do think that novelty wears off over time. And then after a year or two, it kind of becomes what it was. I mean, that's a more, to me, that's a more fun city than Kansas city. Oh, much funner city than Kansas city. If I'm going sneaky, sneaky fun though. Oh yeah. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah, we it's, were there last year. Sneaky for, fun about Kansas like, City. Just fun, like bar district, good downtown vibes, pretty walkable, really good food. Um, yeah, we had a we had a great time. See, I can only judge Kansas City on their barbecue, and their barbecue is shit, which is evidenced by the fact that you got to put sauce on everything. Uh, that's a little harsh. That's or, a, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's better than Texas, but it's a little harsh. Sometimes tough love is the best love, Jeff. <laughs> you know what? I've been saying that all year about this basketball team, so I, I should agree with you on that. <laughs> if I'm going to Nashville, I do want to go to Nashville next year, by the way, for the Texas football game, but then also for the SEC tournament. If I'm going to Nashville for the SEC basketball tournament after next season, it's strictly to get to enjoy Nashville. Yeah, I'll go take in the basketball and, and cover this team in a sense, but it will be much more about getting to learn more about a city that's got a ton of hype that I've spent limited time in. Have you spent any time in Nashville? Yeah, actually, we went for the NCAA tournament when Texas went in 2018, I think. It was the year they lost to Nevada, the Mo Bamba year. Mm, yeah, they, with, uh, the Martin Twins. Yeah, so I'll I'll never, jokingly here, obviously, never forgive this team because we were about to have a Saturday off day in Nashville where we were only going to have one show on CBS – because the tournament wipes out all the early stuff, obviously. And it was going to be St. Patty's day. Texas was going to practice at like 10 in the morning. We were going to send all of our stuff back and we were going to get St. Patty's day in Nashville. Like we already saw the preparations on Thursday and Friday for the weekend. We were ready to go. And then they just, they just blew it down the stretch. I mean, give Nevada credit, obviously Musselman, they're struggling at Arkansas this year, but that dude's a pretty good coach. Yes, he is. When, is, when one is, of the Martin, one of the Martin twins is, I think, I don't know if it's Cody or Caleb. One of them still in the NBA, and one of them played a big role for the Heat last year. I'm surprised both guys aren't still in the league. I liked each it, of their games a lot, and it's very well suited for this version of basketball too, where they can do a lot of different things, uh, even with that bigger stature. Yeah, I think both guys might still be in the NBA in, in some facet. But yeah, Nashville, Nashville was a blast. It's a fun city. What did you like about the city? <laughs> it's good drinking music. Uh, I love that little, I think it's Broadway Street. We, you know, it gets the Austin to Nashville comparison a lot. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's because I've lived in Austin so long that I'm almost jaded by it. And Nashville was new and it was fun kind of preferred nashville man oh wow yeah, like just strictly for i don't know if i'd want to move there but strictly from like the party standpoint just it's like if we're comparing and i know i'm gonna get in the comments there's so much more to downtown austin than sixth street but when you go when tourists come here it's changed over the years but for a long time it would be sixth street even you know still you get a little bit of oh should i somebody comes in town should i go to rainy street well, Nashville, the obvious low-hanging fruit on that would be Broadway. And Broadway was was a blast. But again, I could I could be hating a little bit just because it was it was so new. I was also just like peak mid-20s at that point, ready to ready to just get after it. That does help. Yeah, at 46, it sounds daunting. It's like, oh, it's a there's some place we can go earlier. Get an early dinner, maybe go grab a nightcap after that. Oh, by nightcap, do you mean 11 or 12? No, 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 no. Nightcap, like 8.30, 8.45, maybe be in bed by 10 o'clock. 
but uh, both towns are a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, what I've heard about Nashville. I've, I went there once to visit family and also to check out Vanderbilt when I was deciding on a school, even though I'd already gotten automatic admissions into Texas, there was no way that I was going any place else. Even if I ended up transferring away after a semester, uh, the, the Vanderbilt campus is really cool. And obviously it has a, an immaculate reputation academically too. Yeah. We didn't see much of that. I think it's right there in the city though. It is. Yeah. The football stadium, which again may have changed. It was like, it was right there, which I, I don't think I had seen that before. Hey, that's that's one of the road trips. CB brings up a, a great possible TSU road trip idea. That's that's one of the road sites next year for Texas in the oh, SEC. Oh, it's not going to be Fayetteville. We don't want to all put our lives at risk <laughs> going to Fayetteville, especially a year where Texas is going to beat them by 50 points in Arkansas. Maybe I'm just cocky with that. Fayetteville doesn't scare me after I survived the field storming in Lubbock. Two years ago. Oh, remind me of this. Now, the when they beat Texas yeah. two years ago in football, Tech stormed the field. And remember, that was the game, Bijan fumble that went to overtime. Yep. And I remember standing there on the sideline or in the end zone looking back, and they were ready to jump. It was like second down, and they were ready to jump. And I was like, I'm going to die. What's your plan of action there? Like, what what are you bracing yourself to do? Are you going to try and run someplace real quick? How did that go? Um, I just went behind, like, like I basically just put myself up against the goalpost. That's that's exactly what I would try to do if I were you. Yeah, yeah. They they didn't storm the court after the beard return in Lubbock, but they and I think they do this after all the tech games. They let the fan. I think they let the fans on the court after. But yeah, that was a. Uh, oh, CB says who's Longhorn who got pushed during that. Oh man, this was two years ago. Yeah, because I do oh. I do remember the Bijan fumble and Tech winning that game. Obviously, God, I had to have heard about this in the moment. I'll find out. I'll find out real quick. Okay, well, yeah, you're that- doing that. I'm gonna give some sponsorship love to some folks starting with our good friends at covert BK. hi i'm dan covert with my wife hayden welcome to covert bk our newest location in the gorgeous hill country includes buick gmc cadillac chrysler dodge jeep and ram and hundreds of pre-owned and certified vehicles for you to choose from we have three service departments that are ready to take care of your car truck or suv with 86 service bays to accommodate any repair and get you in and out quickly come visit us today to select the vehicle you've been dreaming about covert born and raised in austin Holy shit, there's some crazy news that just came out, down regarding the NCAA NIL collectives and more. We, we will get to that. I uh, just want to promo it, I guess, before we talk about it, because we do need to talk uh, about a few more of our sponsors and actually hear from a couple more, too. That means you're going to hear the lovely tones of Tom McKay over some nifty jazz. This is Tom McKay, owner of Audiovisual Consultations, and we'd like to take a moment to that's not it. This is- Hi, this is Tom McKay with Audiovisual Consultations. Today's home electronics can be a bit daunting. My company has spent the last 36 years making sure they are not. For those of you who have not experienced our services yet, we'd like to invite you to give us a try for all your home electronics needs. 
We carry all the major brands of televisions and stereo equipment at prices you can't find in stores. And we come to you. There's no need to leave your home to find great pricing and incomparable service. No traffic and experienced sales geeks or pushy showroom tactics. We believe in having some fun and dreaming big. Do you have a dream for your home entertainment? Let us know. We can make it come true. And we are always there to help after the job is done. We cultivate clients for a lifetime by treating everyone like their family. No, not those family members. I'm talking about the ones you actually like. So relax, hug your kids, make love to your wife, and smile. Then, when you have a moment, give us a call at 255-8678. That's 512-255-8678. Or online at avconsultations.com. Thanks to Tom and thanks to Steve, a.k.a. Cooter, the man behind Pest Wranglers. Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. Is there a better name for a guy that owns a pest control company than Cooter? I don't think so. And based on the results, uh, you should be a, a big believer in that ideology as well. Pest Wranglers have been taking care of those pest problems in and around Central Texas and homes and businesses since 2006. Since then, they operated on a motto, effective, reliable, affordable. And right now is a great time to get in touch with Pest Wranglers to get out in front of mosquito season. It is warming up. Yeah, we just had a couple of days of cold, but it is going to continue warming up through the weekend into next week and beyond. And with that warmer weather comes mosquito season. Pest Wranglers can help you knock that problem down before it gets started through an eco-friendly treatment that does not target bees or butterflies and is non-toxic to birds and mammals. By mammals, we mean your dog sniffing around the backyard. It's effective for up to a month. It kills mosquitoes that transmit all sorts of deadly diseases, works against insecticide-resistant mosquitoes, too. This stuff is field-validated with a ton of scientific research backing it up. So effective that it was used in Africa for malaria control. They also offer more of a conventional mistreatment for fast knockdown in case you've got a pool party or a backyard party coming up and they're like oh shoot i need to get rid of these mosquitoes the treatment is effective for up to 21 days for either treatment there are no horrific odors after the fact and both are also wallet friendly too typically under a hundred bucks per month because they are big believers in their customer service best in the business no contracts required go to pestwranglers.com to find out more info and get yourself signed up with Best Wranglers. All right, Jeff. So earlier this week, I have not talked about this on any show because I'm like, God, people are going to get so tired of this shit. It's something new every day, even if it is a big piece of news. But earlier this week, or maybe it was technically late last week, the NCAA's power to prohibit recruits and transfer portal athletes from negotiating NIL deals before they've officially gotten to that new school Uh, Their ability to do so was completely halted by a preliminary injunction. And so since then, people are like, what's going to happen here? We can negotiate for NIL on behalf of these players. They can negotiate, try and get better deals for themselves to go from one school to another. Like free agency to me, but that's been happening ever since this was allowed to begin with, despite the fact that the NCAA operating five to 10 years behind, like they always have been, we're trying to start to investigate certain collectives for these actions. Everybody's doing it. They're still trying to nab a few, make an example of some 
to scare anybody else from doing so. Well, with discipline comes authority. With authority comes respect. The NCAA has nobody's respect, especially in college football. So it's only a matter of time before they are removed from this situation altogether. And today, the NCAA apparently sent a memo to schools with Charlie Baker, the head of the NCAA, former governor of Massachusetts, announcing that the NCAA has paused all investigations involving third-party NIL collectives. Quote, in response to this latest order, the Division I Board of Directors directed NCAA enforcement staff to pause and not begin investigations involving third-party participation in NIL-related activities. There will be no penalty for conduct that occurs consistent with the injunction while the injunction is in place. I agree with this decision, while the progress toward long-term solutions is underway and while we await discussions with attorneys general. In circumstances that are less than ideal, this at least gives the membership notice of the board's direction related to enforcement. Wow. They're done. Like, this is it. There are death nails. This may be the final death nail for them. They're not going to be able to put this back in the box now. Even if the injunction is overturned, I mean, you're not retroactively going to go and stop schools who have negotiated deals and these athletes who have negotiated deals with the NIL collectives. The NCAA, much like they did with the transfer portal a few years ago, has decided to completely stand down. And ultimately, it's probably for the best at this point. We need to figure out a different governing body. And so for the NCAA to essentially wave a sort of white flag here, I I think helps that process along. Yeah, and they really had no other choice because – it's it's happening. So if NIL is part of the game, which it is now, it has been for a couple of years, then you can't really say, or it doesn't really make sense to say, well, no, you can't now negotiate that up front, or you can't have conversations about that up front. That would be like saying you go on a college visit and you can't discuss potential majors up front. You've just got to get here and see what happens. Like, I mean, again, not a total apples to apples comparison, but when it is part of the game, yeah, if I'm a player, I would want to know that up front. I mean, maybe it doesn't need to be an exact number, but let's say I'm a, I'm a star wide receiver coming in and I'm on my recruiting visit, doing all the normal things that we've always done in recruiting visits. And then now part of it is to talk about NIL. And I've heard a lot of coaches say, if that's the first thing out of a guy's mouth, then that's a, that's a huge red flag for them which I get, I get that to an extent. It shouldn't be the very first thing out of your mouth. It's almost like when you're interviewing for a job, like, yeah, you got to talk about money. It's a really important part of part of the deal, but you're not going to immediately like get on a call and be like, so Trey, what's, what's the job pay? You know, they want to make sure everything else is a fit, but I think, I think that should be happening. I think they should be having conversations about, Hey, you're a three-star receiver and, or four-star receiver this is probably what you're going to get up front. This is what most of these guys are getting up front before they've produced anything. Hey, then we can show you if you become a Xavier worthy, this level of production, you become a Jordan Whittington, that level of production. Although Jay Witt, you know, production and popularity has probably made, probably made him a ton of money while he was here. Then this is what you, as it, do you think? I hope so because he's yeah. obviously not that flashy star that an Xavier worthy is, but I, I hope he, uh, he received uh, a decent chunk too. I, I would hope so. Yeah, I don't know 100%, but that guy's beloved by 
yeah. basically everybody. And for damn good reason, he's an awesome guy. Yep. But yeah, I think those conversations are, are things that need to happen now if this is part of the game. I mean, I would want, as I'm going through my list, like anybody does when they make a big decision, you know, you're going to go through it and you're going to go, okay, the school, like what boxes does it check? If I'm from Houston, yeah, it's close to home. Like, I think I can play early. You know, whatever boxes are important to you and NIL making money, it's going to be important to everyone. As much as guys say it doesn't matter, you know, Arch Manning said it didn't matter, said he wouldn't sign. They said he wouldn't sign an NIL deal until he was the starting quarterback. Well, how did, how did that plan out? You know, how, how did that play out? Dude ended up signing an NIL deal, did a great thing by donating a big chunk of it to charity up front. But that's the ultimate guy that comes in and doesn't need the money, isn't doing it for the money. But the rest of these guys that are normal, normal people from normal families coming in, it's a huge part of this. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the NCAA waving the white flag was good for the long run, but also made complete sense, too. Yeah, it shouldn't be the first thing that you're bringing up in a conversation with a coach, but it will be brought up and coaches shouldn't be upset by that. And now they can be maybe a little bit more forthright than they were. And by the way, this has been happening the entire time. It's no small coincidence that Texas starts up the Pancake Factory to help hook up their offensive line with NIL deals. And then Texas rakes in the best O-line class in the country. Yes, thank I'm you. Not, I'm not throwing stones at Texas, by the way. I'm saying... I'm being thankful that Texas was able to do that. We have Kelvin Banks in part as a result of that. Other schools have been doing the same. If you haven't been doing that, you're falling behind. Sure, Clemson is paying something, but they're actually a good good example of this because they uh, they really dragged their feet in large part because of Dabo Sweeney, and now Dabo is running the risk of ending his time at Clemson like Mac did here in Austin. Yeah, coaches that aren't adapting to this, and again, I think you can come out if you're, you know, certain coaches can come out and say now at this point, after they've already embraced it and make the comment of it's off putting when it's the first thing that a guy says, you can do that and say that once you've adapted to it. But, um, and Dabo didn't say this specifically for the record, right. but yeah, a guy like that, you saw how quickly a program that had elevated to blue blood status and won national championships, how quickly they became, I'm not going to say irrelevant, but really no longer, you know, a true championship contender. They're nationally relevant as a program still because of Dabo and the recent success. And they were still winning, what, nine, 10 games a year, but they weren't competing for, really weren't competing for the ACC championship. And they weren't competing definitely for national championships. No, they weren't. No, they were not. All right. That's a, that's a little side note there. Um, I do have the college football playoff 14 team expansion story, which I continue pushing back on every show. Uh, We may get to that in a little bit, but the more pressing news right now, Jeff has to do with Texas Longhorns at the scouting combine, the uh, defensive linemen and linebackers went yesterday. Uh, Today is tight ends and Gosh, I'm sorry. I'm forgetting what this is. Uh, tight ends and defensive backs. Defensive backs. Thank you. Uh, what are your impressions of, uh, let's start with yesterday, the the job that, um, that Sweat, Murphy, and then Jalen Ford, unfortunately, to a lesser degree, did uh, at Indianapolis? Well, I think I pretty much agree with what everybody was saying about those guys, especially the two the two big fellows up front that we all know really well. And don't think anyone's surprised if you followed Texas – um, you know, to see how well those guys competed and just even the numbers that they put up guy like Tavondre sweat, man, 
even if he didn't put up the, you know, the best 40 time ever, that's 366 pounds and, and looked fluid while he was doing it. Looked, you know, he looked like a big guy running a 40, but also he looked really, I thought athletic running. Uh, when he was doing those bag drills, there was one of the analysts on NFL network was like, look at the big guy go. Um, people were, people were raving about them. I think Byron Murphy, you know, may have, may have solidified his status as a, as a likely first round pick. I mean, you just never know, but pretty much every mock that I see has him going 20 or better. I think so, that he's not only, not only a, a first half guy. Now he may have worked his way into top 10 status. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to say like a hundred percent, he's going to be a first round pick because you just never know. But with what the mock drafts were before he went to the combine and then that combine experience, I'm sure he interviewed well. He's a guy that's dedicated and loves football and people speak highly of. So I'm sure he, I'm sure he was great in that regard. Doesn't have a lengthy injury history. So I'm sure the medical part of it was, was good on his end as well. And then showed out on the field. I mean, the athleticism, the quickness that he showed, uh, I don't know why, if you're looking for a defensive tackle, you wouldn't want a guy like that. And then with Tavondre going back to him real quick, the weight was a big issue, which again, I'm not an employee in NFL front offices, a scout, a GM, whatever. But the fact that they were so worried about the weight with Tavondre, he was basically, I think he weighed in at the same weight that he played at this past season with certain things like that, like guys just put on the tape, just put on the tape. And that's really what they should be doing with the combine. I actually think we're moving towards, and this is a bigger picture conversation, but I think with all the advanced data that we get on guys of, how fast they're running and all, all this technology that they have on guys in practice and in the helmets and things that say how fast they're running with actual pads on in football situations in practice and in games too. I think we're moving towards where the stuff on the field, the drills at the combine are, are becoming significantly less important than they were before. It's going to be, Hey, let's get all this data on these guys. The medical part's going to be huge. And then the how do you interview part is going to be absolutely massive as well, because comparable to what we were talking about with, you know, with being off putting guys talking too much about NIL when they're on recruiting visits, these these coaches, you know, at quarterback, that's one thing. But I think guys, you know, NFL scouts and GMs, coaches, they just want to see that guys love ball, that they just love football, that you're you're in it for the right reasons. And, um, you know, all the Texas guys that we talk about to my knowledge and my interactions I've had with them, check, check those boxes. But yeah, I think what happens on the field is going to just become less important if it hasn't become significantly less important already. What's weird is I'm looking at tight end stats right now, and maybe this is just NFL.com. Like there no tight ends have any stats. I would assume that they were at least partially through this thing, but uh, NFL.com does not have any updated stats for the tight end. So I can't tell you what Jatavian Sanders has done just yet. I do know that Ryan Watts has run the 40 yard dash. If you'd like to know that time. What was that 4.53? I think. Yes. Yep. <laughs> what's, what's the middle of the, I mean, that, that's good for a safety. Right. And no one ever thought, I mean, that's a really good time to begin with. That's real. That's really freaking fast guys. Wow. And I don't think anybody thought he was a burner to begin with, but a lot of whether or not these guys participate like Jalen Ford, 
I think did the vertical and the broad and all, some other different jumps and drills, um, but didn't do the 40. I think some guys, depending on your position, where you are in the draft, what the narrative is around you, you have to, you have to just decide if you think it's worth the risk to run is, is putting a good 40 time out as a linebacker, a realistic 40 time for you too, like what you actually think you could run at your best is running that. And the upside with that worth the risk of, you know, getting to do it twice and waking up and not feeling great or just not having your best stuff or just having two rough forties is a bad time that might come with that. You know, is, is that worth risking, you know, to maybe have the pros on the other end of it, if you run a really good time. So I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think a guy like Jalen Ford probably, probably had that conversation with his team. Like, is this, where are we at now? And is running this 40 really worth the upside, the potential upside? I think that he needed to do everything because you're seeing multiple guys get into the four twos right now. It's actually pretty quick, crazy to look at the uh, cornerback 40 time stats right now. There are, let's say seven or eight guys that are in the four twos. If you're Jalen Ford, you have a lot to prove right now. And yes, the Texas track is faster, but you want to try and do that amongst your fellow competitors on that track too. And so for him, he is theoretically fighting for uh, draft positioning right now. All these guys are, but he needed to prove it a little bit more than somebody like, uh, let's say, a, a Jatavian Sanders did. Like Jalen Ford, there are some questions about him right now. He probably didn't strike when the iron was hottest and leave after last season. He would only been a, a mid-round pick. It was a weird up-and-down year for him. So uh, he's going to blow it away in the interview process, of course, and certain drills will be all right. BK wondered if he maybe hurt himself yesterday, which is going to run the 40, because he did certain explosive drills. He did the, uh, the vertical and he did the broad jump, I think, but then skips out altogether on the 40. Honestly, Trey, I think the 40 is kind of a joke anyway. Like it's become something that we talk so much about. And maybe with receivers, it makes a little more sense. Like if Xavier Worthy, you know, he said earlier today that he he wants to break the combine record of 4.22. If Xavier Worthy breaks that, that might be a data point for his position. And, you know, <laughs> running a go route, you might run your fastest 40 yards in a straight line. But how many of these other guys whether it's Jalen Ford, heck, even Jatavian Sanders as a tight end, or, you know, Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, they might be the best example of it. How many times are they going to be running 40 yards in a straight line? To me, I know it's one data point that shows off athleticism, and it is important, but I feel like it's just become something that people put way too much stock in. You know what I put more stock in watching those guys yesterday was – their lateral quickness, their athleticism, their agility, the way they moved through the bags, that giant hula hoop deal where you grab the towel and you do the figure eight. I put way more stock in something like that. The bags especially, get down, get up, lateral quickness, agility. That's what I would be wanting to see, especially from a linebacker, a defensive lineman, versus how fast can you run in a straight line out of a sprinter's stance, something you're never going to do in basically in your football career as a defensive tackle. Yeah. Oh yeah. Defensive tackles, offensive He's a linebacker. There's, there's maybe some, there's maybe some, uh, some value for defensive ends. Cause you are starting in that position, 
for linebackers, and look, there are stats within stats. So for the 40-yard dash time, you also get that 10, 20, and 30-yard dash time too. Uh, it ten, is ten might ten might be better than any of those other ones. The little yeah. if they still do that shuttle one where you're running ten yards here, ten yards there. That's something that I would even put more stock in than the forty. Yeah, I, I uh, ultimately I do agree with you on that, but he needs to also show that he does have that good straight line speed too, because I think he does, doesn't he? Or decent? Maybe he just didn't want to. The one that confuses me more than anything, Jeff because you want to talk about drills that actually do relate to what you're doing on the field. If you're a defensive or offensive lineman, I do want to see what that bench press is, what the 225 total number is. I don't care what a quarterback does with that, but for defensive and offensive linemen, that's a big part of what you're doing out there. Devontae Sweat didn't do the bench press yesterday. That was a bit of a head scratcher for me because look, that I mean, he looked pretty good in going through those drills but despite the insider report saying that his weight wasn't that big of a problem, pretty much everybody watched him go through those yesterday saying, man, you're you pretty awesome. You move so well for your weight. Here's the caveat there. What if he were to shed 10 to 15 more pounds? He's still going to be one of the heaviest dudes in the league, and maybe he gets even more fleet of foot as a result. So for him not to do the strength drill was a bit confusing for me. And, and maybe it's just something where he's waiting for – uh, to do it at Texas Pro Day, or or maybe there's something else there that he, he doesn't want to be exposed about his game. Well, you made a good point a second ago, which I guess would kind of be the devil's advocate to my point of who cares about the 40. Teams do want to just see you compete. They want to see that, you know, you showed up to this thing and you got peppered with random questions. You did all these interviews. You're probably more mentally exhausted than you've ever been from interacting with people and trying to impress people. I mean, it's the longest, the entire draft process for these guys is basically the longest job interview that anyone will ever be on. It's anything you do off the field could affect how much money you're about to make in your career, where you get drafted, you know, and the combine, unfortunately is the biggest part of that. Even if I believe that the off the field stuff, the medicals and the interviews are, are arguably more important as long as you don't embarrass yourself. Um, but you made a good point. Like teams probably want to see you compete, but at the same time, I'm sure they're reasonable. Like if Tavondre sweat told teams off the record, like, Hey guys, like I got, I got something in the Dell. Like just don't know if I want to, you know, put up the bench right now. Um, you know, like I'll, I'll do it at pro day or I'll do it at a private workout. Who knows? But yeah, they do want to see that, that you can, compete and show a little bit of mental toughness and show that you're comfortable being uncomfortable. I was bummed that Jordan Whittington wasn't able to run or do more in the way of drills. I think he only did bench press yesterday, but I guess he's got a hamstring injury that messed with his ability to compete in the senior bowl. And I, I hate hearing that because you know that if somebody's trying to find something wrong with him, which it's, it's hard to do because he's such a solid dude and a good player but that's that's the first thing there is the injury exactly. history. I mean, it's the it's the thing you can't ignore with him. So then now for it to be, I can't do this stuff because I got a nagging hamstring injury. That's that's tough. I just I just hate that for him. It's almost an automatic that he's going to go undrafted free agent rookie, which is good for him. He gets to pick his team. He gets to pick his situation at that point. I just I hope that this. Because for the last couple of years, there have been less injuries. I just hope that this is a one-off, and he is actually – he's turned that corner in terms of his overall physical health. Yeah, you're right. He stayed relatively healthy the last two years, but 
just before that, I mean, it's well documented how many different injuries he went through, you know, all, all over the body. Did you ever, um, did you ever hear why that probably is why he was so injury prone his first three years here? No, I mean, I, I honestly think a lot of it was, was kind of fluky. So Um, he had a, but like the clavicle that's, I mean, just fell on it, catching that flat, pass in the OU. Yeah, flat, clavicle's fluky, but some of the, the soft tissue injuries were the result of, I forget if it was a family member or a trainer. I think it was a family member, was a power lifter. And so he had him doing a lot of Olympic weightlifting type stuff when his body was still developing as a teenager. And that can be good for you. It also can really throw things out of whack too. And so there's a belief that, that was a big part of the problem is him basically having to outgrow that style of training and train uh, smartly. Do I sound stupid saying smartly train <laughs> smarter, um, train smarter than he had been as a teenager who didn't know any better, who was just following this family member around and, and trying to get stronger like that person was. Yeah, that that's interesting. I, I hadn't heard that, but I mean, it would make sense. Yep. Okay. So CB says former Longhorn. Tyler Owens just posted the second best broad jump in combine history. That dude is such a physical freak. Betting favorite to run the fastest 40. I feel like I did see. But, yep, guarantee he's going to be a great NFL defensive back. We'll see. It's just it's just all kind of ridiculous sometimes. We shall see. All right. Does, the does fastest- John Ross still have the fastest 40? Yes, four two two maybe. Yeah, John Ross in twenty seventeen. Yeah, how did he turn out? Pretty good. Pretty. <laughs> well, pretty no, he good. didn't. <laughs> okay, the four two sevens that I was seeing, by the way, is all time. That is not this year. There's only one guy who's cracked the four twos this year. My apologies on that mistake. Well, we Mike haven't. Higgins, a Clemson cornerback, ran a four two eight. So that's the fastest time right now. I think Xavier Worthy is going to get in the four twos. Keelan Robinson too, but Tyler Owens, I guess, is the betting favorite to end up in the four twos past Wiggins. See, and a four two two for for Xavier Worthy, a guy that's clearly on the fringe of the back half of the first round and the second round, that could make him some money. Like that's one where even if I don't necessarily agree with it, I could see how teams would would be like, you know what, that's kind of just the cherry on top of the resume that, that he's built. It's just sure. that, that last data point that put us over the top and said, Hey, we're, we're ready. We're ready to take this guy. If he's available. And you know, when we're picking 27 or whatever it may be. What do you think we see out of Christian Jones? Um, I, I don't know, to be honest, like <laughs> I would imagine he had, he has late round potential, you know, the versatility. I think he moved around a little bit on the offensive line and I thought him coming back this year, he, he really showed something too, just by putting another, another really good year on tape and Kyle flood, man. I mean, he's, he's got a history of churning out some really good ones. So I think another year learning from Kyle flood really helped Christian out a bunch. And I know, I know I say this a lot. He's another dude. That's just a really solid dude, like a really impressive guy. I know in in the interviews, you know, which isn't the only part of it, but it is a big part of it. If you're going to bring in a guy who 
you know, you're not going to use a first, second round pick on, if you're going to use a late round pick on a guy, you know, you definitely don't want him to be a potential problem or, you know, a cancer in the locker room. At the same time, that is a round where maybe if a guy falls for any reason, you could take a chance on a guy like that. But a guy like Christian Jones, I mean, you you know you're getting a solid dude and somebody who I, I think still has a lot of untapped potential. By the way, offensive linemen compete on Sunday. Tomorrow's quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs. Saw Jonathan Brooks at the podium a little bit earlier talking about how he is already doing some straight line running and – Promising teams, he will be good to go by training camp. Even if he's not worth a bit of a flyer, he's going to be a good running back at the next level. I'm, I feel confident about that. And there's a, maybe a little bit of bias there, but it's also true. I think Christian Jones is going to make himself some money this weekend. I don't know how he's going to test other than blowing people away with the interview process. Plus, if you look at the game tape from these last two years, just look at last year. Kelvin Banks is looked at as maybe not surefire, but a a very likely first-round draft pick in next year's draft. Christian Jones was outgrading Kelvin Banks for a lot of this season. He has has worked his way from liability to a valuable component on that offensive line, and maybe an underrated element, his return to this team last year versus going to the NFL draft, a big reason why the O-line was able to continue taking such positive steps forward in the season. No doubt. And then all those other guys behind him, you know, whether it's a Cam Williams or uh, I mean, DJ Campbell played more, but like some of those guys in that really good offensive line hall from two years ago, you know, in, in the high school recruiting class, those guys now got extra time to, to develop without necessarily being thrown out to the wolves and Christian, a great mentor to a lot of these guys too. Yeah. So not only were they getting, were they getting some really good time to develop without the pressure and the spotlight being on them the entire time? They're getting that coaching from Kyle Flood. They're getting that mentorship from, from Christian Jones, getting pushed by guys like, you know, other guys like Kelvin Banks, who came in and was an immediate star. So, yeah, him, Christian Jones coming back for Texas this year was was massive. You know, not to mention his, his leadership on top of all that. Yeah, very well. Very well put there. All right, 422. We've got a few more minutes here before I jet to go to volleyball practice. Let me tell you about my weekends because I've, I've hinted at it, but I haven't given you the details here. Tomorrow, first thing, volleyball. Small break for lunch. Early afternoon, soccer, soccer. This is all in, in consecutive, by the way. BK's party in South Austin off of Old Torf. Comedy show at the Paramount Theater. Going to see Mark Normand. Comedy show at the Comedy Mothership with... um, Oh, fuck. Why am I forgetting his name? But this is all Saturday? This is all Saturday. This is all in a row with uh, Dan Soder. And I've also got a friend in town who... uh, Which may require me to go out for a little bit after a 10 p.m. comedy show, too. (laughs) So... Volleyball, soccer, soccer, 30th birthday party, comedy show, comedy show, nightcap. You going to go to bed at like 8 o'clock tonight to get ready for that? That's probably not a bad idea. I do get to sleep in a little bit tomorrow. Sometimes our volleyball games can be 8.30. This one's at 9.30 tomorrow. So I get to sleep in a little bit, which means it's not as important. I would ar- I would argue that I should go to bed a little bit later so I can sleep until like 7, let's say, versus waking up at 6. 
And then you'd wake up at six on a Saturday. I don't try to. Sometimes I do though, because that's kind of the wake up call during the week. Kids have to be to school. They need to be out the door heading to school at seven. So that allows me to wake up and kind of get going before going into their rooms, assuming they're not already awake and starting to rouse them. And then going downstairs and cooking breakfast. And if I've got something else going on that I need to prepare for, get ready to go to the gym. Cause I like to go to the gym when Justine takes them to school, she takes them typically. And I pick them up unless it's a day where we're walking or riding bikes. Um, and so, what's, yeah. What's, what's the update on that Ben? What's that? What's the update on the bikes? Uh, they made it home on their own the other day. So I'm happy about that. They didn't get kidnapped and uh, sex trafficked or murdered. So parental win there, I guess they're going to get to do that a little bit more. I just like, I am holding on for dear life. Like how a lot of parents, by the way, if you have kids in the car right now or kids listening, uh, send them away so we can have real talk here. Um, (laughs) I like how a lot of parents start to threaten their kids who are questioning the, uh, the legitimacy of Santa Claus. They're just holding on for dear life to that innocence, even though the kids know, and you're starting to run the risk of, them being the the last kid in class to really know because you're being hard headed about it, but I'm clinging to the ability to to go to and from school with them for dear life because in a couple of years they're going to insist on doing this themselves. They're still at that age where I have enough say so where they're not just going to give me the middle finger and go to school on their own or come back on their own and uh, completely avoid me in the process. Hey, Mike Michael C says. Yeah, Jeff, early rising on your uh, even on your day off. I, I did that five days this week, dog. You can sleep in no problem. That's I, the moral of this story. I, I, I dropped off at elementary this morning, and I'm going to be on the 10 o'clock news. Ow, how about that? Any midday naps? But, midday siesta? So I did I did go home, and uh, yeah, on days that I'm going to be there late, I drop off and then I come back and probably sleep for like an hour or two. Oh, but, mid-morning so, siesta. I like that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I would probably some, if there's a doctor on here listening that knows about sleep, I would probably not recommend that. But, you know, like like, like Michael said, you, you got to do what you got to do, even on your day off. Well, if you take the mid-morning siesta, it makes it less... It's less pressing that you have to go to bed by 10 o'clock, which you obviously can't do. So you're probably getting to bed at around, what, midnight by the time you get home and wound down? Yeah, maybe like 1. Oh, shit, 1 o'clock, okay. But I I will say, I will not be waking up at 6 tomorrow. I will be be sleeping in tomorrow. And Sunday. Yeah. I mean, like like anybody else in here that, you know, you guys are, are, are listeners, like, you know, you, you make you make little uh, negotiations or concessions here or there. Life is a negotiation. Yeah. Parenting <laughs> certainly is too. You know, and, and Jasmine's got a job where a lot of times she's got to be up and out, out the door to a meeting or something somewhere else pretty early. So I'm like, hey, I got you here. On Saturday, though, your boy's going to sleep. Boy's going to so, sleep till, till eight or nine. So left to your own devices. Okay, that was that was a question I was going to ask. Left to your own devices and no family around. Let's say you're in a hotel room and you're covering the Big 12 tournament and Texas doesn't play into the evening. Uh, when are you typically sleeping until? Um, probably no later than like nine. Okay, so nine is the upper ceiling most of the time. But I, I can't do the, like when I was single, I could sleep till... <sighs> till noon 
I mean, I wouldn't do that often, but if I stayed out late, like I could legitimately sleep till noon. Even now, if we get a night out, I come home, I'm, I still can't sleep past nine. Cause like you said, you, you do get that internal clock going a little bit where you're going to wake up at a certain time, you know, or, and even, even if you can go back to sleep, you do kind of get on, get on that clock. And even though it's a little bit masochistic for me, waking up early on the weekends, part of me likes doing that. Going to the gym first thing or just being up, able to focus on certain things before everybody else is up and it's drawing your attention to whatever other life form, children and wife included. Like I like having that peace and quiet on the weekends to address certain issues. Yeah, and one thing I've learned about kids too is once – once they're up at a, you know, to a certain age, but the age that ours is at five right now. Yeah. You're not getting shit done once that dude's up. <laughs> no, it, like, you it, are, like if you're by yourself, man, you're just, and, and, you know, we, we, we don't do the, we give him a little bit of like, let him play some, a game here or there or something, but we try to keep that in check. And if you're doing that, like, if you're going to give him the, let him play a game for a half an hour, you better be like on it. Like the clock starts and let's go. It does actually get better, believe it or not, although I'm assuming the Jasmine is like Justine and every other mom out there where you have ears like a bat. Not the shape of the ears, but uh, your ability to hear things, especially as it relates to your kids. Even though we've told them, you are not allowed to come into our room. You're not allowed to knock on the door. We will call you in when we call you in with the official family call. Until then, you need to play quietly in your rooms. You can play with one another. It cannot devolve into fighting. And it can't get loud because that's going to be a problem. And I'm sure that plays out really well all the time. Exactly how you planned it, right? They're pretty <laughs> respectful. But again, it's like once I once I hear them for the first time, I can hear something and then go back to sleep. Once Justine hears them, she's up. Once she's up, unfortunately, I'm, I'm also probably up too. <laughs> we'll have to get BK's uh, take on his, his uh, sleep habits now. Now that... I would imagine BK was a sleep till noon guy until he became a, a business owner. Um, I was for a long time, but I kind of lost the ability to do that, which is tragic because that used to be my favorite thing to do. Like in college, you know how they call Kevin Durant the Slim Reaper? They <laughs> called me the Slim Sleeper because I would sleep on average 16 hours a day. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I can't. They should have called you the Grim Sleeper. Why is that? Because it plays into the name a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess it does. I don't know. I was skinny. Still am. But, no, nah, I like... Nowadays, yeah. If, if I get seven or eight hours, it's a good night. But I used to need like nine or ten. Otherwise, I could not function. I don't know how you parents do it. Those were the days. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Enjoy the last 30 minutes. BK, thanks for hopping on. I'm going to go c- coach some second and third graders in volleyball. Hey, keep your cool, Trey. Keep your cool. Hey, oh, good come luck. on. <laughs> Nick Saban. Bring that Coke bottle to practice, Nick. <laughs> the Nick Saban of second and third grade girls volleyball. The uh, greatest self-appointed nickname in human history, Jeff. I think I offended him when I said he's – I was like, yeah, you're more like Bill Belichick. Mm. Uh, so once he lost his star player, he just he forgot how to coach. <laughs> just went get, curmudgeon. Yeah, you had to get fired soon. Yep. 
Oh, man. How you doing, man? I haven't gotten to listen uh, too much to today's show, so I don't know what you guys have hit and haven't hit, but uh, how's everything in your world? Good. No, everything's good. We talked a little talked a little NFL Combine a minute ago. Obviously, Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat, big day for both those guys yesterday. Um, and then talked a little about Jalen Ford, his situation, maybe why he decided not to run the 40. A little Texas hoops, obviously. Yeah, a bunch of, a bunch of good stuff. Talked about you know, the new NCAA rules where they sort of wave the white flag on letting teams, uh, or I guess saying that they're not going to investigate the collectives Mm. for, for negotiating those things up front, which I think makes sense given the landscape of college football right now that, yeah, if I'm going on a recruiting trip, I'm going to want to, even if it's, we're not signing contracts, I'm going to want to, yeah, I'm going to want to know. I'm going to want to know, like, what am I looking at NIL wise? Like that's part of my decision now. Yeah, and look, I I don't like to give the NC2A a lot of credit for anything, and they don't deserve a lot of credit for the way that they've handled just about everything over the last half century or so. But that, in conjunction with some of the rule changes that they announced today, with the in-helmet communication that's finally coming to college football, with the tablets on the sideline, two-minute warning I'm not super fond of, but okay, it's just another way college football is becoming more of a feeder league for the NFL. Like some of the decisions that the NCAA have made in the last couple of days, like actually make sense. And you probably shouldn't get that much credit for doing obvious stuff, (laughs) but they have failed so many times, Jeff, to do obvious stuff that this does feel like a couple of W's for uh, the NCAA recently. I, I see an opportunity for the NCAA video game when that comes out to have a feature with the new tablets now where you can after you throw a pick you can like chuck the tablet <laughs> and you can decide on varying levels of how bad you want to break the tablet like do you just want to like like throw it down toss it down real quick kind of hit the side of the bench with it do you want to <sighs> smash it do you want to chuck it like that need that needs to be part of the game there you go yeah what it's uh, what was it road to glory is that what they called like the individual mode back in the mm-hmm. day yeah i like that i always loved the press conference bit that they had in those individual <laughs> modes in any sort of sports video game where it's like you could basically respond to the presser however you wanted like you can act like a total a-hole you could put the team first like i thought that was great so i like the uh the tablet throw in addition to that right like you just you get to control if you have like an antonio brown or stefan Diggs style meltdown on the sideline when you're playing that's that's good too you're on to something there that that's a yeah that's a good one maybe you could do the antonio brown where he just walks off just <laughs> he walks take off, off your, give, give the piece that's i mean that's still the funniest like we're gonna look back i think we already do look back at that and say like that's one of the funniest moments in nfl history but just like <laughs> 20 30 years from now jeff like you'll be telling your kids and i'll be telling your kids about how great of a moment that was like that, that stuff is going to go down. It's just one of the, the great, I guess on field. Cause it happened on the field, even though it wasn't during a play moments in uh, the history of this entire sport. Yeah. It'll be one that guys that were there get asked about for quite some time after their oh. playing careers are over. Yeah. Which um, have you, I know he's not really part of this, but have you watched much of the Apple TV Patriots dynasty documentary? No, I didn't even know that was a thing. Is it good? Oh, yeah. Wow. Outstanding. Do you have Apple TV? Uh, somebody I know does, which means yes. <laughs> somebody in your family probably does. Dude, Netflix. Okay, sidebar, because I do want to hear about this. Like, Netflix has cracked down 
and it's the worst thing ever. Like for years, they threatened to crack down on the password sharing bit. I, I can't even get my own parents' Netflix anymore because like there's there's so many kids, four kids, and we all live in different houses. So it like it just assumes because we all try to log in that we're like cheating the system. So I, I do not have Netflix at my place anymore, even though it's my own family that's paying for it. It sucks. Uh, same exact thing happened to us, but I will finally be uh, making one of the final plunges to becoming a real adult and oh. buying my own Netflix account for our family because I have to watch Full Swing when that comes out in five days. Mm. It's one of those where, and there was something else coming out that Jasmine really wanted to watch too, or I finally just said, all right, when full swing comes out, we'll, we'll get the one. Well, we'll inevitably like, I'll be a cheap piece of crap. I'll get like the $7 one that has commercials every five minutes. Oh no. We'll hold on to that. We'll, she'll finally be like, Hey, I was watching something while you were at work and uh, I just went ahead and like got us the $80 a month membership where, <laughs> you know, where there's no commercials and you can watch whatever you want and be like, are you okay with that? And I'll be like, why don't, I can't really say no. So yeah, I guess I am. Yeah, full swing. They're doing a second season. Yeah, it comes out March 6th. God, I need to watch. I, I watched like the first four episodes, and I don't know why I stopped. Like, I, I really enjoyed it. I just have commitment issues, so it, it takes so much for me to, like, watch a full season of anything. But that's good to know. Like, I, you're such a huge golf fan. It No surprise at all that that's, like, religious TV for you. And it actually got the most, like, criticism, I guess is probably the right word, from golf fans, from really diehard <laughs> golf fans. Like my dad is a diehard golf fan and he was like, well, I already knew half this shit. Oh, and he's like going on and on about it. And I was like, dude, you're not the audience for this. Yeah. Like the drive to survive F1 thing, the docuseries that they built that on, they're building that for somebody like me. Who's not an F1 fan at all. And might become one because of that. They're building, Hey, the golf one, they might've been building it for like a guy like you who follows sports, but golf may not be the primary sport you follow but you yeah. might watch it and fall in love with these guys or fall in love with the sport or something and then watch more of it because of that. There you go. All right. Long sidebar. That's my fault, but okay. Patriots Patriot. Like it, this is must see TV, this Patriots dynasty. I, I think it's awesome, especially <laughs> because they got basically every major figure to talk about it, you know, to come on. They had Belichick on, um, they had like Belichick's right hand man. I think his name is Ernie, Ernie Adams. I think, and then they had like Scott Pioli's on there. Obviously, Brady, uh, Brewski's featured heavily. Uh, I just finished the Randy Moss episode. It's mm -hmm. eight parts, and like, we're we're around the same age, BK. It sometimes with some of these dynasties, even going back to like the Lakers when I was a kid, I remember most of that because I was just so close to it. But like the Spurs dynasty, after that, you kind of forget some of the details, or the Patriots dynasty in this case. You can forget how it started. I obviously knew the basics of Bledsoe gets hurt, Brady's a six-round pick. I mean, we all know that. Sure. But the dynamic behind it and guys talking about it, they had Bledsoe on. He was awesome in the first few episodes. Uh, it was just really, really good. I think it's really well-produced. I feel like they they touch on everything. Uh, yeah, two more episodes came out today. CB says that, <laughs> shockingly, the the Aaron Hernandez episode was was quite heavy. They that got him to, They got him to talk. Oh my gosh! Hmm. Be oh, little, be a little tough, I guess, to oh. to do that now, huh? Oh, you went there. Yeah, I mean, uh, somebody had to. Everybody was thinking it. I'll, I'll be the guy who says it. 
No hologram Aaron Hernandez on there. No, haven't hmm. haven't been able to make that happen yet. But no, I haven't I haven't seen that episode. I just finished the so I'm about halfway through. Okay. Nice. But yeah, the the early parts of these dynasties and the the minor details and nuances of how they started are things that you know, especially in the early 2000s, I I kind of forget personally. Yeah, yeah, and we were so young, right? Like at the time, like I, I think you and I will be able to tell the chief story and kind of how that began a little easier because sure. of that stage in our life. But yeah, the Patriots is the greatest dynasty in the modern NFL. Like we were so young when those those pieces were getting put together. And shit, Bill Belichick wasn't he the head coach of the Jets for like two days, and then he wasn't the head coach of the Jets. Like all these, all these like little what probably seemed like little things at the time. It just turned out to be just monumental shifts in telling the history of the National Football League, you know? Or even his his tenure with the Browns. Huh. They talk a lot about that in the first two first two episodes when uh, Bledsoe was healthy enough to come back and they stuck with Brady. And Brady was solid, but he wasn't Tom Brady yet. He wasn't yeah. he wasn't the GOAT yet. I mean, the people were, you know, admired how well he came in and held it down. But that was a really really ballsy decision from Belichick. So that's one aspect that I didn't realize, like, again, those details of, oh, Bledsoe was ready to come back. And they were essentially like, nah, we're not going with the $100 million guy who's beloved and was a former, you know, high draft pick. We're hmm. going to go, we're going to, we're going to stick with Tom, this rookie sixth round pick. Yeah. That was, that was wild. And I didn't realize when he was in Cleveland, he kicked Bernie Kosar to the curb and got a bunch of flack for that. And I think a lot of that eventually led to his firing. So again, very minor things in like the entire story of it, but oh, the story doesn't become the story if he doesn't make that decision. That's a good point. I was hoping that was going to happen in Dallas with Romo to Dak, but uh, now we're, <laughs> we're still six Super Bowls away from, from that. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Still time. Still time. <laughs> Jesus. This is a huge, like, I guess I should be happy that Texas has an easier basketball opponent tomorrow, but like, this is a fun weekend for the big three Texas sports. And it's like if Texas was playing Kansas or Houston or somebody bigger than Oklahoma state, like this could be a really, really fun weekend just with the baseball schedule, with the fact that there are 11 Longhorns at the combine. This is the most players that we've had up there in such a long time. And then like basketball is doing its thing too. Like this, this is a fun weekend to just kind of sit on the couch and, and just watch some sports. And it's, it, it could be a really, really big weekend for uh, the state of Texas athletics. I think. Yeah, but you're not going to be doing that. You're going to be partying. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be able to watch the basketball because it's a 1 o'clock game. And the tab, <laughs> I know you're working, which sucks, but the, the tab is 4 to 6. So I should be sober enough to know what's going on during the basketball game. Uh, tomorrow's baseball game might be tough. But, you know, tonight and Sunday, those are the two bigger matchups. I'm going to try to make sure I'm locked into those. And then yeah, the I, I like the combine. I, I wish – and I know this makes no sense for TV to do this, but like selfishly, so I can go enjoy my weekend without having to dedicate time on a Saturday to watch dudes and like leotards run and lift the weights. <laughs> and basically uh, in underwear. Yeah, exactly. I wish it was like Monday to Thursday instead of Thursday to Sunday. That's not how TV works. It'll never happen. But I just like want that stuff to watch on weekdays uh, instead of the weekends. But I don't know, man. I'm I'm gonna try to dedicate as much time to to TV as possible because it's it's a fun weekend, I think. And I think that that bar tab will be timed perfectly for you if Texas somehow chokes this game away against Oklahoma State at the Moody Center. Yeah, that'll that'll be that'll be perfect timing to have a bar tab to drown the 
frustrations. I think these games almost make me more nervous for Texas basketball. Like, as bad as the performances were against Houston and Kansas, you expected them to lose those games. Now, we all went in on how pathetic and lifeless those two games looked, and then they end up bouncing back against Tech. But even that Tech game, in a way, you know, they weren't favored. They were two-and-a-half, three-point underdogs. So you go into that game going, hey, if they get a win here, this will be great. And if they lose, just don't look pathetic. And then that was going to put even more pressure if they lost on the Oklahoma State game. I mean, I think, obviously, it was big for seeding that they beat Tech, and the way they did it was huge. But it still kept them on that eight line when Lenardi updated. Um, but it takes a little bit of pressure off these last three games. Like, oh, yeah. you can't go 0 and 3, but now at least you're, I don't think you're out of the tournament if you lose one to Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. Yeah, like, I agree. If I Texas- mean, the ideal, the ideal scenario and most realistic scenario is you beat both the Oklahoma schools, unranked teams, one team that you've already beaten, you beat those, both those teams at home, and you likely lose to Baylor. So that's probably the most the most likely scenario there. Yeah. yeah, and I think if that happens, Texas at worst is a nine, at best is a seven. Now, if they somehow go to Kansas City and win the Big 12 tournament, then all right, we might be talking about a six, potentially a five, but that's probably not going to happen because you've got to beat like three or four really good teams to get that done. So, yeah, I think you laid it out perfectly. Like if you win one of these three, you're going to make the tournament. Now, to feel to feel safe, I think you got to win two of these three. To feel like, okay, shit, like I don't even need to watch Selection Sunday. Like I know we're in. We just need to see who we're playing and where we're going to be. If you win two, like you said, win those two Oklahoma games at home, then you're perfectly fine there and you don't have to sweat a whole lot. Obviously, yeah, if you go 3-0, and then with the old cliche, you want to be playing your best basketball going into March. Well, one of Texas's best games this year was their last game before March. And if they could somehow turn that into, hey, a four-game win streak to end the regular season, then – I think, uh, yeah, everybody's tone when talking about this team is is going to change, and you'll feel like, all right, cool, we're in, that's good, but we're not going to do anything to like, ah, shit, like, could this team make the second weekend? Like, not only win one game against an, a like opponent, could they pull off an upset against a two seed uh, or potentially a three seed if they creep up to a six? Like, that's, that's what I hope the conversation is two weeks from Sunday when uh, these brackets come out. And I, I'm still holding out hope and a little bit of positivity that I think they can be a second weekend tournament if it all kind of clicks. And I mean, again, that game against Texas tech, we saw what this team can look like when each guy, I know it's cliche, but when each guy really is playing their role and nobody played out of this world, but if you can get six, seven, eight, and four or five boards and some good defense at the rim from Caden Shedrick, if you can get, you know, good Brock, if you can get the Brock we got until he, you know, hip-checked a dude into the table and got ejected, if you can get the Kendall Weaver that they got where he showed a little bit of a of an ability to be a real threat driving the ball to the basket and being able to finish at the rim, and some of those and-one plays that he's been making the last few weeks have been really impressive, his ability to finish at the rim. And he even had a couple little of those little, you know, I don't know if I'd call them mid-range, but kind of like not a layup, not a mid-range jumper, little like shots off the backboard. If he can do that and occasionally bail you out, that's a that's a great sign for for this Texas team moving forward. And I know people that have, that listen to this this time slot know that I've been a little little bit of a maybe an over optimist with this yeah. team, but I'm still and and you know that's not 
that's not typically who I am. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. typically would be a, I need to see it to believe it, but for some reason, there's just something about this team. I know people are so sick of hearing me say that, but I just, I think they have the talent on this team. It's just going to be whether or not they, they can put together a tech like performance multiple times over and over again against a really good team. Yeah, you know, when you're like a lower-seeded team in the tournament, the way you make deep runs is if, like, star players, uh, like, show up and show out, right? Like, you know, neither DeSue or Acemas or Steph Curry, but look at Davidson. Like, who the hell else was on that team? Like, they had Steph Curry. He went otherworldly for a couple of weeks. They made it all the way to the Elite Eight. They damn near beat Kansas the year KU won the national championship back in 2008. Like, if you have those players, and, and why I think Texas fans should be a little more optimistic, like closer to where you are, is DeSue did that last year for this team, and Acemas did that at Oral Roberts as a 15 seed. That's so literally, it's not, I was, yeah, it's like two guys who have the ability to go nuclear at any time, but not only that, they, they've already done it in the tournament. It's not like, oh, this is their first time in the big dance. What are they going to do when the lights are the brightest and you're playing in a random spot against a random team that you haven't seen before and it's all sorts of craziness going on in the dance? Like, no, they, they've got players who have been stars on teams that have uh, made tournament runs. So if it does click, yeah, this this absolutely is a team. I don't know if I'd bet on it, but this absolutely is a team that has second weekend potential. And you mentioned DeSue and Acemas. As hard as we've been on Tyrese Hunter, Tyrese Hunter did it too. You're right. That Iowa State team was on the other side of the bracket, but the same site. They were in Milwaukee when Texas went there and, and ended up losing to Purdue in the second round. Um, and that was Beard's first season. Mm-hmm. And Acemas, or not Acemas, uh, Hunter was on the other side of that bracket with Iowa State before he decides to come to Texas. And he took them as a freshman and in a kind of an alpha type looking player when he was on that team, um, that that's more of the Tyrese Hunter that I, that I want to see. But yeah, you have guys that, that can get hot and can have really, really good potential or potentially NCAA tournament, like individual performances. Yeah. They, um, they were an 11 seed that year, that Iowa state team, I think. Yeah. And they made it to the sweet 16 and Tyrese Hunter as a true frosh was, a huge part of that, and I, I, I've given up on him, but I, I, I'm glad you brought it up because that's a fair point. He does fit into that category of guys who like have helped lead an underseeded team to tournament success. So I, I don't know what to expect from Tyree Center at this point. It's just like to play good defense, and like most nights he does play really good defense. But there are some nights where like his struggles on offense, I think, carry over to the other side of the floor, and he's just a total liability out there. Like, obviously, if he could get back to scoring 12 to 15 a night, then, okay, this team just gets that much better. But, like, he he needs to do something to help this team win. And if that's just defense, then, you know, sadly, that, that's where I'm at. Like, I'll just – I'll sign up for that if, uh, if that's my option. Well, it's interesting you say that because these guys have talked about that in press conferences all year long about when they struggle. Tyrese specifically, he said it. Rodney said it about him when they let they let their offense or lack of in any given game start affecting their defense and yeah. then it all just kind of becomes a snowball effect and kind of unravels and then i don't know what it is for Tyrese but we've seen it where then at the end of games even early in games he just makes some like really weird decisions where you go dude like we know you can do this you've shown that you can do it and 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 be a really solid dependable player there's been a couple games this year late where he's just made 
made some really bad decisions down the stretch. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He's just a player who's lacking confidence right now. Like we, like you said, we know he's capable, and I'm sure his coaches and teammates are telling him, like, dude, like you're, you're better than this. We know what you can do. Like, just go out there, trust yourself, and uh, just play your game, play loose. And it, it's not happening right now for Tyrese Hunter. So he hit a little bit of a wall last year. I don't, I don't think it was as long as this wall seemingly is in conference play right now, but he was able to bounce back and was pretty good in the tournament. So maybe he's just one of those dudes where he plays his best ball in March like he did at Iowa State, like it feels like he did last year. So if Texas can get that down the stretch, hell, we don't even need it in these last three games. Like You should be able to beat the Oklahoma schools without Tyrese Hunter playing really well. But you get to Kansas City and then you get to your regional site in the tournament. And it's just like, all right, if you can if you can get that Tyrese Hunter back, then then yeah, maybe you feel like you've got a shot to upset a two seed or or even a, a one seed when you get to round two. Guess what? You know how it is, BK. All the crap that's been talked about Rodney Terry, some of the insanity I've seen from fans about rash decisions, and every time, like just every time they have a bad, bad game. Oh, no. emotional horrible. Some of the crap that's been said on that front about him that's so ridiculous. It'll all get washed away. It'll all get forgotten. Tunes will get changed if this dude wins one game in the tournament. Mm. I mean, definitely two. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we can sit here, both as Texas grads, and talk about how this basketball team should be a second weekend team every year. You know, They should be going to Final Fours every once in a while. That, that's just not what this program is historically. I mean, right. they had that in the second weekend portion of it with Barnes and then the one final four, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great stat there from CB. I mean, this is just not a program that is a really a blue blood basketball program. It's a big name brand and a successful basketball program, but all that matters is what is what happens in March. I mean, it's, it's what you do in March. And if Rodney gets this team to the sweet 16, heck, even if he wins one game, yeah. he'll he'll have done well he's already done way more than shaka did in six it, years yeah no kidding it's uh it's what keeps me up at night you know people ask me like what keeps you up at night and i think they want like a business related answer about tsu and i'm like uh texas isn't a basketball school and I'm like what <laughs> and i'm like i can't get over it like okay i'm gonna say something and then i'm going to downplay my own statement and then i'm gonna back it up here so we're, we're devils advocating myself oh, dude i do that all the time so like Rodney Terry is in a horribly unfair situation right now. Mm-hmm. Now, here's here's the devil's advocate. Well, he's making a shit ton of money to be a coach at the University of Texas, and he probably has no business being a coach at the University of Texas, a head coach. Like, obviously, he earned his assistant spot, but you look at his track record as a head coach at smaller programs, like, this guy never would have gotten hired at the University of Texas if the situation with Chris Beard wasn't the situation with Chris Beard. So he's not unfortunate to have this job because he kind of lucked in to this job. But on the other hand, because the situation with Chris Beard was what it was, he's held to a ridiculously high standard that it's unfair. And it's like people forget. And I've been hard on Rodney Terry, too. And I like the jury's still out for me. This is not me making a declarative statement either way. RT's the guy. RT's not the guy. I don't know. I don't know. But he's held to such a high standard. And I feel like people forget that his two high school signees who he thought he had signed, like they were signed, not like thought, and they flipped commit, like they were signed, and then boom, at the last second, they pull the rug out from under him, and all of a sudden, they're going somewhere else. And he's got to just pivot there 
And just this whole roster got put together, and it's not exactly the roster Rodney Terry thought he was going to have. So he's got he's got the pressure of like, yeah, the emotional hire thing being a thing, and then also just like the roster he thought he was going to have got just flipped up, turned upside down right before practice really got going. Like that, it's it's tough for him, and it's annoying for him, I'm sure. And he hasn't done everything right, but shit, like this has been such a weird year for him. Like if you if you think you have a grasp on whether or not RT is the guy or not right now, I think you're making a mistake. I think you got to give him much more time to uh, to figure this thing out. Now next year, like next year, if he's able to bring in all the guys, like Trey Johnson comes and actually plays here, and you know, just <laughs> I don't know if the Sue's coming back. Like next year is when okay, well, he- you start making your decisions, but. Um, yeah, year one with everything that's happened surrounding this program, like it's it's just unfair to be expecting Rodney Terry to do ridiculous things with this team. Yeah, Trey and I actually talked about that on Monday. We were looking at the exact date of when Ron Holland decommitted because I think Ron Holland was a much bigger decommitment than AJ Johnson. It, I think yeah. AJ Johnson was going to be more of a project to begin with, or just a guy that that was going to take longer to develop and maybe not coming in immediately be a huge impact guy at the college level, where I think Ron Holland had more potential to do that. Even if it wasn't a sure thing, he decommitted on April 28th, like April 28th, man, the the portal, the portal was basically closing. I mean, we know how quickly now these guys, as soon as March madness is over, boom, these guys are in the portal. They're making decisions. They're going on visits. And there may have been guys where Rodney said, hey, I, you know, I'm not going to go as hard on this guy because I got Ron Holland coming in. Like, here's yeah. what my roster is going to look like. You start building it out on paper. And like you said, for the rug to get pulled from underneath him was uh, was just brutal. But we'll, yeah. we'll see what he does in March. And should we, yeah. should we close it out with a, with a minute and a half of Texas baseball? Sure. Big weekend for them. By the way, to your point on A.J. Johnson, I looked up his stats the other day. Averaging like two points a game in the yeah. profession, like he, he's not doing anything. So it, it probably would have been better for him to come to Texas, but yeah, like I, I don't know if this guy would have been a great player at Texas or anything. But uh, yeah, still, it's it's annoying that he's not here. Meanwhile, Ron Holland, on the other hand, is like averaging twenty one a game in the G League. So and then he got that, hurt. Though. Yeah, then he got hurt. But that would have been nice to uh, nice to have for sure. All right, yeah. yeah. Where are you at with this baseball team? Um, obviously, huge weekend. Two top ten teams. Two SEC teams with a good Texas State program sandwiched in between, like obviously two of three. You'll you'll sign up for that right now. But what what's uh what do you like and what are you maybe worried about with this team going into this weekend in Houston? Cautiously optimistic about what I've seen from them so far. I thought the pitching, I mean, goes without saying, whoever you're playing, a division one program, you give up no runs over the course of three games. That's obviously huge. And I think that's something that even if we were maybe making a bigger deal out of it in the moment than we should. That's something that later on down the line, when you hit bumps in the road, when two starters, you know, have back-to-back bad outings, you hit some adversity in big 12 play, you maybe get swept, you lose a series. I think that's something you can look back on and say, like, guys, we can do this. You're capable of doing this. It wasn't just LeBaron and Charlie Hurley and, and Howard. It was the whole staff. Like you, like you guys did this. You guys are capable of doing this. Um, don't have any major concerns right now, but, like you said, would absolutely sign up for for two of three, given the opponents. I mean, even Texas Texas State's no slouch. They they beat Houston today on a on a walk off in their first game. 
There you go. Yeah. It'll be fun seven, to see what they can do. The next seven games, uh, six of them against ranked teams. And like you said, Texas State is the one against an unranked team, but they've been a tournament staple in recent years in college baseball. So uh, it was a relatively easy start for the Horns. They made the most of it, seven and one. I think we all uh, are happy with the uh, with this start for this team. But yeah, we'll learn a lot about this bunch uh, over the next nine days or so. Uh, this was fun, man. Good stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, enjoy the celebration this weekend. Happy happy birthday. Appreciate that. We will miss you, but uh, we'll find a time to get together and just celebrate all sorts of shit sometime no soon for sure. All right, that's going to do it for a Friday edition of Texas Sports Unfiltered. Uh, for Jeff Barker and the entire team at TSU, we'll be back on Monday. But once again, come join us tomorrow from 4 to 6 at Kelly's Irish Pub on Old Torf. The drinks are on me. Really, they're on Old Stad Beer. But, you know, we'll say they're on me. Uh, should be a fun time. But, yeah, we'll be back Monday, 8 to 5. Hope to see all of you there tomorrow. And I look forward to seeing all of y'all next week. In the meantime, y'all have yourself a great weekend. And hook them.